on a cold winter's night There was so Oh, come on, church. Merry Christmas, everybody. Come on, if you love Jesus, put your hands together. Come on now. Oh, come on, 11 a.m. If you love the Lord, make some noise in this place. Hallelujah. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Anybody glad to be here today? Man, I, I'm just, I'm fired up. Love Christmas. Love, love, love Christmas. Anybody with me on that? So, so many different reasons that I love Christmas. Obviously, hands down, Jesus is the reason for the season. Come on, let's not forget that. I, I, but I love, I love the Christmas carols. Uh, the other night we took the kids, we put them in the car, we went and looked at Christmas lights. Come on, have some Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, as much coffee as we could get in that minivan. It was just a, a great night, and uh, my family loves me. Lots of presents coming my way. I love Christmas. I'm telling you, I love it. But one of the things I love so much about Christmas is that people come home. People come home. They, they, come, they come home. They come in town. We get to celebrate with friends and with family, and so already we're beginning to see uh, people come home. And so if you're, if you're in town this week, or, or maybe you're on your way somewhere to be with family, may, may you just enjoy it. Uh, I, I don't want to get too sentimental in the beginning of the message here, but, but you'll, you'll never get this Christmas back. Amen. You only get to do this Christmas once. So, so why don't we just make a commitment that, that we're going to do Christmas right this year. Can we do that? Come on. I think it's great. So Merry Christmas to everybody. God bless you. Uh, many of you know this. If you've been a part of our church family for a while, we're one church in two locations. So we've got our, our wonderful campus right here in the South Metro Atlanta area and then 702 miles north of here in Germantown, Maryland which if you know anything about Germantown, it's about 25 miles outside of the nation's capital, is our Go Church family. And we, we love Go Church so much. Uh, many of you know this, but five years ago, Kimberly and I moved to Germantown. We launched Go Church, and then just through how God worked, he brought us back home. And now we're one church in two locations. So I want to take a moment, look at the cameras in the back of the room, say a great big hello, and we love you to our Go Church family. Come on, can you do that? Will you let them know you love them? Come on, let them hear you. Yeah. Love you guys so much, and we bless you. And then, and then we always take an opportunity to pause and honor our incredibly brave military men and women who are serving, protecting us, fighting for our freedoms. Uh, many of them are far from home during the holidays. We pray Psalm 91 over each and every one of you, and we thank you for your service. Come on, can we bless them? I love it. And then, and then if you're watching online, thank you for tuning in today. Got to love technology and the way that that works. Uh, we pray that the same spirit that is in this room is, is felt as you watch via online. Um, although it, it's, it's fire in this room, I'm telling you right now. I mean, you know, but we, we bless you. We thank you. As a matter of fact, real quick, uh, I was grabbing a quick sandwich at Jersey Mike's. A little plug for Jersey Mike's. And uh, it was a cool opportunity because I had enough shore points to get a free Jersey Mike sub. Come on now, somebody. We call that balling on a budget. That's right. And so I was, grabbing, I was grabbing my sub, and a lady, she walked up to me, and she said, Excuse me, are you Pastor JC? And I said, I said, well, it depends. You know, can I help you? No, I'm just kidding. I said, yeah, I am. She said, I love your messages. They are so wonderful. I've been so blessed by them. And so I just responded with, well, how long have you been attending? And she said, oh, I've never been to the church. I just watch you online. And I was like, all right, come on now. And then I said, well, you know the camera adds 10 pounds. Come on now, you know what I mean? Well, we bless all of our online viewers. Love that that audience is growing. As a matter of fact, wherever you're watching from, just drop it in the comment section. We love to see uh, people watching from different parts of, of the globe. So, so God bless you. I'm excited about today. The, the Lord has dropped a word in my heart, and I'm, I'm going to share that with you. Uh, but I, I do want to take a moment and remind you that Christmas is coming. So if you haven't done your Christmas shopping, fellas, come on now. you got to go Christmas shopping. But we're doing two Christmas gatherings at both of our campuses. So Christmas Eve gatherings at both campuses. 
Um, at either location, the, the gathering times are the same, 4 p.m. and 5.30 p.m. We've been promoting this for, for quite a while now, and so many of you know that. As a matter of fact, a few weeks ago, uh, we told you about the tickets that you needed in order to, to be a part of the night, not because uh, there's any admission cost attached to your participation, but we just wanted to be prepared for your arrival. And uh, so we started this a few weeks ago, and at the end of the first gathering, all the tickets are gone. Come on, isn't that great? Some of you are like, well, what about me? Well, you shouldn't have procrastinated, you know, so... So I told the guys, we knew that some of you would wait to the last minute. And so on purpose, we held a few tickets just for you because I'm, I'm one of those people, by the way, you know, that wait to the last minute. So if you've not gotten your Christmas Eve gatherings at either campus, you've got to stop by Next Steps today. Again, it's free to get in. This is just our way of saying, okay, you're coming and we can prepare for that. We're calling it, a home, we're calling it home for Christmas the Lord is giving me a word for that night. We're going to do communion together. We'll do candlelight service together. Um, there, to me, there's something about Christmas Eve that needs to be uh, traditional and nostalgic. And so that's our attempt for that night. And we know that you'll be blessed uh, by taking the time to come out before you get into the fun part of opening gifts and, and all of that. So stop by Next Steps. Tell them, say, hey, if you got an extra ticket, you know, uh, let me know. And then, and then you can participate that night. It's going to be great. I want to tell you about one more thing. And then I promise you I'll share this message. Um, I, I believe that 2019 that there is a, a shift that, that is coming, a shift, a shift in your families, a shift in your health, a shift in your finances, a shift in your job situation. There, there's just coming a shift. And, and in order to better prepare for that, that supernatural shift that God is gonna, gonna, gonna do in our lives and in our hearts, I, I think we've gotta pray. Come on, give me a better amen than that. So, you know, this church has always been a, been a, a house of prayer and uh, taking time aside at the beginning of the year to, to, to jump into the disciplines of prayer and fasting is nothing new. Uh, but I want to present to you all what we're calling 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, you'll hear more about these, these uh, opportunities in the next few weeks. But I wanted to get this on your radar uh, because many of you, you've got travel plans over the next couple of Sundays. And so I wanted to make sure while I had you as a captive audience, you put this into your, your calendar. Here's what it's going to look like. Uh, we'll begin on, on January the 6th. Uh, that's a Sunday. We'll, we'll kick it off with our normal gatherings at both of our campuses. And then in the following days, uh, Monday through Friday, our sanctuary here at South Metro Atlanta, and then our offices up in Germantown. It's a Clarksburg area, actually, uh, just a few minutes from Germantown. Those offices will be open every morning at 6 a.m. for you to come before work uh, to pray, to have a time of devotion, to enter into worship and then to launch into your busy day. Now, I know that that schedule won't accommodate everyone, but it's impossible to try and accommodate everyone's busy schedule. Uh, many of you, 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 you've got to get up earlier and get to work sooner, or your day starts a little later. But for those of you that can participate with us, all 21 days, we're going we're gonna to permeate 2019 in prayer, and we're going to believe that God is going to do something supernatural. Just by a show of hands, how many of you need 2019 to be different than 2018? Anybody with me? Okay, that's, that's the majority of us. So I think that, um, you know, we ought to start the year off by giving God our first, our first. So really the idea of 6 a.m. was dropped in my spirit because a mentor of mine told me years ago that if you get up before the sun comes up, God will meet you there. Now, I don't know what time the sun's going to rise in all 21 of these days, but I do know that 6 a.m. for many of us would be a sacrifice. If, you, if you've got the responsibility of taking your kids to school or to, to daycare or whatever, um, and this would kind of interfere with that, bring them with you. Let them be a part. I, I'm going to bring my son Lakeland to the 21 days of prayer, and I'll take him on to school. You know, he's eight years old, but, but what a great opportunity for him to be surrounded by individuals praying asking God to touch their lives. So, so bring, your, bring your kids, and it'll be uh, less than an hour, you know, and you can kind of come and go as needed for your schedule, but I want this to be a priority. Then on Saturdays, we're going to let you sleep in a little bit, and uh, we'll start at 8 a.m., and so any days that you can come and participate, if you can do, maybe you set a goal. I'm going to come one-third of the 21 days, or I'm going to come 50% of the 21 days, or, you know, if I can come on Fridays, just make some type of commitment. Join with us at both campuses for 21 days of prayer and fasting, and let's watch God do something supernatural. Come on. Are you excited about this? Come on, put your hands together if you love it. I love it. And I can't wait. All right. Uh, we started a couple weeks ago a series called Carols. I, I pray 
fervently that you've enjoyed this series as much as I've enjoyed teaching the content behind the series. Uh, it's, been, it's been so life-giving for me personally. You all have afforded me the opportunity to share uh, transparently some things that in my own life I've experienced, and uh, you've even let me get up here and cry a little bit, so I appreciate that. Um, but when the Word comes alive, it changes us. And, and here, here, if you're jumping in today, it's not a problem. This is one of the reasons I love so much to teach in series and not in sermons is because you can jump in at any point and feel like you're just moving right along with us. But the whole point of this carol series is we're looking at some of the more popular Christmas carols, and then we're looking deeply at the lyrics that make them up and learning how they can not only remind us but ultimately refresh our faith that Christ has entered the world. That, that he is the gospel. He, he is the good news. And so two weeks ago, we talked about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. By a show of hands, how many of you were here for that one, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? Last week, we talked about O Holy Night, one of my favorite ones. How many of you are here for that one? Yeah. Well, today, we're going to talk about this, O Come, All Ye Faithful. And, and this one is, is one, of, one of our favorites. And at both campuses a moment ago, they just sang this song. And I think it's appropriate just to, just to give a shout out, man. We, we've got some talented people in our churches. I'm telling you, they are gifted, gifted people. And, you know, it's hard not to feel the presence of the Lord when they lead us in worship. And so they sang, O Come All Ye, o Come All Ye Faithful. And, and I, I want to give you a little context behind this song. And then I'll share with you a little bit of what the Lord dropped in my spirit to, to, to preach on today. Um, again, this is one of the most popular Christmas carols of all times. It's been translated into 125 different languages, 125 different languages. Now, uh, when I say translated, not translated by English, its original language was Latin. How many of you knew that? Latin. Some of you are like, I'm just going to raise my hand anyway. because I, I, I want you to see the, the actual name for this song in Latin is this. Adeste Fidelis. Adeste Fidelis, which are the, the first two words of this carol. And a more accurate translation of Adeste Fidelis would mean this. To be present or to be near. Isn't that so good? Adeste Fidelis. O come all ye faithful. Now, our, our, our best guess at who wrote, O Come All Ye Faithful, or Adeste Fidelis, is a man by the name of John Francis Wade. Not John Wayne, John Wade. Some of you are like, John Wayne wrote the song. No, no, no. John Wade. And we don't know a lot about this individual. As a matter of fact, we're not even 100% sure that he was the original author, but history suggests and leans towards that he was one of the individuals that, that put the lyrics of this, word to, uh, this song together. Uh, a few things that we do know about John Francis Wade is this. He was not a pastor. He was not a theologian. He wasn't a biblical scholar. As a matter of fact, we do know that he was a music teacher. In the 1700s, and a part of his job description was that he was responsible to write church music for the church. And so somewhere along the way, we believe that John Francis Wade wrote Adeste Fidelis. Now, if you look back at the first two weeks of the series and you compare it to our conversation that's happening today, you'll probably notice that this carol is a touch different than the previous two. The previous two carols were describing God to us. They were describing Jesus to us. So week one was, O come Emmanuel, an understanding that, that God is with us. And then last week, of course, we talked about O Holy Night and how Jesus is this thrill of hope. And when the thrill of hope meets our weary world, then we get a new and glorious morning. And so those first two carols are all about, all about describing Jesus to us and what it means that he has entered, entered this world. But this carol is a call to action. This carol is now our response to God. So weeks one and two is his response towards humanity that he knew that we would need a savior. And so God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus. And now, oh, come all ye faithful, 
is our response towards God. Let me show it to you. This is the line that really jumps out to me. And there's, there's so many lines within this song or this carol that are powerful. But, but this is the line right here. Oh, come, let us adore him. On the count of three, both campuses, let's say these words together. Oh, come, let us adore him. You ready? One, two, three. Oh, come, let us adore him. Come on, one more time with a little bit more umph to it. You ready? One, two, three. Oh, come, let us adore him. Here's what I want to do. I want to break this phrase down into three parts. You ready? Take some notes. We got a lot to get through. And I, prom I promise you, I'm going to get through all of it in about 30 minutes. You ready? Nobody time me, by the way. Watch this. The first one is this. Oh, come. Oh, come. See, the other two carols that we looked at in this series tells us that God came to us. That God took on the form of humanity. He was a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was fully man, yet fully God and without sin. But the truth is, is that not only did God come to us, but we can also come to God. Come on, help me preach for a minute right there. Watch this. We have, you and I, we have direct access to God. Uh, no, no matter our, where we find ourselves on the spiritual spectrum, whether we've been in church all of our lives or this is our first Sunday in church, whether we grew up as a believer or we're still trying to figure out our faith, we all have the opportunity to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Come on, give me a good amen right there. So not only did God come to us, but now we understand that we have access to come to God. How? I'm going to show you how. It was through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. Now, gaining access to God was solidified when Jesus was born into this world. And then it was doubly solidified when Jesus was crucified on the cross at Calvary. Let me show you what your Bible says. Your Bible talks about how there was once a veil, a veil. And this veil was about 70 feet from top to bottom. And this veil is what separated man, you and I, from the holy of holies. And, and, and history tells us that priests were the only ones that were ever allowed to go beyond the veil. And they could only be permitted to go beyond the veil once a year. But when Jesus died on the cross, when he bore the stripes on his back, when they mocked him and spat on him, when they put the crown of thorns on him, the Bible says that God ripped that veil. Come on now. From top to bottom, the veil was ripped, symbolizing that there is no longer a barrier. God came to us, and now we have access to God. Come on, give me an amen right there. Now, you need to hear me. And I, I want to be respectful here and careful here, but you need to know the truth. Because we have access to God, we do not have to pray our prayers through the Virgin Mary in order for God to hear us when we pray. Watch this. Because we have access to God. Because he says, come. Come on. Watch this. We don't have to go to a priest to confess our sins in order to be forgiven. We can call on the name of the Lord and we will be saved. Come on, somebody preach with me now. Now listen. This whole idea is this. Oh, come. It means this. Christ didn't just desire to enter the world. Christ desires to enter your world. He wants access to you. And he gives you access to him. Uh, okay, watch this. Ephesians 2, verse 18. Now all of us, read it with me, ready? Can come to who? The Father. The Father. We can come to the Father. How? I told you this earlier. Through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Oh, come. Oh, come. Listen to me. I know sometimes it feels like God is far off. You know, it, sometimes it feels like God is distant, and we're not sure if he hears us when we pray. I get that. If I'm being honest with you, I've been there. I've done that. I bought the T-shirt before. Come on. Like, God, do you? And he says, listen, I am just as close as the very mention of my name, Jesus. I, 
I can call on him. I have direct access to him. You know what? Uh, whenever I call on Jesus, I never get the busy signal. Come on now. Uh, there, there's the old song that says it like this. Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. Come on, anybody thankful for that? And I'm just, I'm really glad that, that Jesus has Verizon because he's always got signal. Come on, somebody. Oh, come. Oh, come. But watch this. The, the, the carol doesn't stop there. Oh, come, let us. Let us. I, I love this so much because that, that word us is a plural pronoun. Uh, it means more than one. When I understand that it's a call to come and let us, it's an understanding that God is not exclusive. God, God is not exclusive. God, God does not pick and choose who can worship him and who can't worship him. Watch this. We all have the opportunity, all of us, let us, every single one of us, re regardless of race, regardless of gender, come on now, regardless of where we find ourselves on the financial status scale, we, we can all, let us, Every single one of us. And I know you're thinking, how do you know that? I'm so glad you asked. Because you can go back to his birth and see that Jesus demonstrated that all of us, every single one of us can call on him. All of us have an opportunity to worship him. Here's a quick reference of some of those that encountered this newborn king. I think about Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph were just teenagers. So, so age doesn't matter. You, you, can, you can come to God and worship God and experience the power of God, whether you're 8 or 80, because age doesn't matter. I, I think about the other group that encountered this newborn king, the shepherds, that they were lower class. Come on, the shepherds, they, they were in the fields all the time. They, 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 had, they had manure on their shoes. They were dirty. They were filthy. They, they were an outcast, yet Jesus said, come. Watch this. I think, about, I think about the wise men who might be more wealthy and influential. So, so we're seeing that socioeconomic background doesn't matter. He says, let us. And if you read Ephesians 2.18 a moment ago, you may have missed it, but it's in the introduction. It says, now all of us, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Watch this. Say this with me. Oh, come. Oh, come. Let us. Yeah. Watch this. Adore him. And then this is really where I, I want to sit for the next 20 minutes or so. Because when I got to this part of the carol, when I got to this phrase, and I begin to break it down into three parts, I, I understood, okay, you're saying that all can come. We have direct access to you, and there is no limitation on who can call on you. It, he, he, he died for all. When he was on that cross, he died for every single one of us to give us an opportunity to come into right standing with God. But how, how do we adore him? How is it that, that we can adore the Lord? Um, as a matter of fact, one time Jesus was talking about the religious people in his day. And I want you to see this because you may not have recognized this in your Bible before. You may not have known that Jesus was so direct at times. But he was being questioned, and he talked about the religious people, and he said, they, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Let me say it again. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. God, forgive me if I've ever just given you lip service, and the spiritual, spiritual condition of my heart was not well. What does it mean to honor the Lord with our lips, yet our heart be far from him? Let me put that in modern terms for today. It means this. We can sing the right songs. We can recite the right prayers. We can even uh, participate in the right church services. But if our heart isn't in it, then it's nothing more than lip service. And watch this, and you know this, but we live in a culture that is filled with cheap sentimentality. We throw around this love word like it means nothing. I'm telling you, we say we talk about loving things in a way that just seems so flippant. You know, we moved, we moved back here at the beginning of this year from Maryland. We, we planted Go Church five years ago. We moved back as a part of succession to now be the lead pastors of one church in two locations. And it's amazing what people in the South love. 
Y'all love some bacon. Come on now. Anybody love bacon? It's the best amen I got. Bacon. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, hey, you know what else you love? You love deep fried anything. Anything. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, hey, pastor, have you ever had deep fried butter? And I said, have you ever had a heart attack? Like, my God, you're talking about deep fried butter. Now, I have had a deep fried Oreo. Yeah, some of you are like, mind blown. You know somebody in the South had to invent a deep fried Oreo. These are the things we love. I love a cheeseburger. I love a good steak. In the South, you love college football. Uh, Up in Maryland, they love some crab cakes. If you've never had a crab cake from Maryland, you have not lived. I'm telling you right now. They love the NFL. They love the Redskins. Pray for them. Come on. You're laughing, but you love the Falcons. I'm praying for you. It's just amazing what we love. Uh, People will go on one date and be like, I love you. I don't even know their middle name, man. Come on, what you talking about? Love. The things that we say that we love and we attach this this idea of love to, but, but there's a difference between love and adoration because adoration has depth. Adoration is not lip service. If I say to you, I love my wife, you're like, man, that is so nice. But if I'm in conversation with you and I say, I adore Kimberly, you're like, man, I need a guy like that. Yes, you do. I adore my wife. I adore my children. And the reason that connects with you differently is because there is depth attached to it. It's not just lip service, but there's purpose and there's meaning. And watch this. There's heart behind that phrase. And let me say another thing about adoration. Adoration is so much more than just your church attendance as well. We can say, God, I love you. I adore you. So today I went to church so I can check off my my religious to-dos that I went to church today. Come on. You coming to church does not prove that you adore him. You you coming to church does not prove that, that you love him and you worship him. Sometimes we just come out of religious obligation. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think about uh, in the New Testament, there's a story of the woman at the well. Some of you know it. In John chapter 4, Jesus is having a conversation with the Samaritan woman. Uh, let, let me pick it up for you in verse number 19. She says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. So this woman is talking to Jesus. Now, this woman has quite a, a testimony. Uh, she, she's been in and out of multiple relationships, and so they're really engaging in this conversation at the well Uh, He even says to her, if you drink from the living water, you'll never thirst again. He's challenging her on her beliefs. And she says, I can see that you're a prophet. And she goes on, and this is what she says. She says, our ancestors worshiped where? On the mountain. She says, "But, but you Jews claim that the what? Place where we must worship is in where? Jerusalem. I want you to see something. Because she is associating worship. She is associating adoration to a place. That I've got to get to a place in order to lift you up. And watch what Jesus says. Jesus says, woman. I don't think he said it quite like that. He says, woman, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Verse 23, yet yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. Verse 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Watch this before you clap and then you can go crazy for Jesus. What Jesus was saying to this woman was worship is not about a place it's about a posture he's saying adoration is not about a place it's about a condition of your heart he says listen when you go into worship when you lift up the name of Jesus it's not about location it's all about adoration I wish I had a few hundred people that would help me preach right now come on Uh, Let me say it to you like this. The same God that is in this room this morning that you feel in your belly, 
is the same God when you're driving to your work on Monday in your car. It's the same God that when you're going through good times and difficult times, you don't need to get to the house of God in order to feel his presence. You can just fall on your knees, open up your mouth. Why? Because you've got direct access to him. You can call on the Lord and he is there. Come on one more time, church. Put your hands together. Yeah. I'm, 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 trying, I'm trying to help you as much as I'm trying to help me. It's not about location. It's not about a place. It's about worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. Are you enjoying this so far? Come on, encourage somebody. Yeah. All right, watch this. So I, I, I was praying and asking the Lord, so how, how can you teach us about what it means to give you adoration. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Well, obviously, because of the season, I really felt impressed to go to the Christmas story. And I, I read in Luke chapter 2, and then uh, it didn't really strike my spirit the way that I had anticipated. So, so I went to Matthew chapter 2, and I saw Matthew's perspective of this Christmas story, and his emphasis in these few verses, uh, the first 12 verses, are on these wise men. And, and, and I was looking at the moment that the wise men encountered Jesus and saw a few things that really jumped out at me on how they can teach us some lessons on adoration. Now, before I show you what the Lord showed me, let me preface all of that by saying this. There's quite a lot of theological debate about these wise men. There's, there's, there's a lot, and there, there is some case to some of the claims about how many there were. You know, typically when you see a nativity, a nativity set or a manger scene, you see how many wise men? Three. I think that has to do because they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and so there's this thought that there's three. Uh, we don't really know exactly how many there were. We don't know really where they came from. We don't know if they were believers or not. Some think because they followed a star, they were into astrology, but they had heard about, you know, this, this newborn king. And uh, I'm going to share more of that. I feel impressed on Christmas Eve about something the Lord showed me in my study time about this uh, story in Matthew 2. But the point is this, is that while e even you'll see that when the wise men finally came, they, they came to a house. But Jesus was born in a cave. So some think that, okay, well, there must have been a time period where Jesus is a little bit older now. Maybe he was not a baby, like a newborn, but now maybe he's an infant or a toddler. We know that he had to be at least under the age of two because Herod instructed them to go and find all the children under the age of two. And you know all of that. You'll see that here in a moment. But regardless of the debate of the wise men, how many there were, where they came from, what was their denominational affiliation, et cetera, and so on, what we do know is this, is that they did show up. They, they did have an encounter with this Jesus, and, and their, their world was flipped upside down. So let me show you. I'm going to give you 12 verses in Matthew chapter 2, and then I'll share with you some things that the Lord showed me about adoration, beginning in verse number 1. I need you to hang in there with me, okay? Can you give me like a few minutes to read 12 verses? Is that okay? Watch this. Verse 1, Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Verse 2. And asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed because he was, feeling, he was feeling threatened, by the way. He was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Verse 4. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Verse 5. We're moving along. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Watch this verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi, and he had a secret meeting. And he found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And watch what he does in verse 8. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, I want you all to go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Can I tell you that the enemy is a liar? Yes. Herod wanted to kill him. 
And the, the enemy will tell you anything that he wants you to try and believe, and you have to proceed with caution. Somebody say amen right there. Uh, Lord, just drop that in my spirit. Let's move on. Verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. A few more verses. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Can I tell you, when you see Jesus, your world is different. They were overjoyed. Verse 11, and on coming to the house, there it is, we talked about that. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So I can catch my breath, and because it's appropriate, can we put our hands together and thank God for his word? Come on now. Yeah. So I'm reading this and I'm asking, okay, God, how can we learn what it means to, oh, come, let us adore him. And the Holy Spirit dropped five lessons on adoration in my spirit from what we just read in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. And I want you to see them. Let's start with verse number 9. Now, we read all of it, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Here's the first lesson. I encourage you to take notes, both campuses, because if I need notes, you probably do too. Watch this. Verse number 9, it says this. After they heard the king, they went on their way. On the count of three, can we read these five highlighted words? You ready? One, two, three. They went on their way. Do it again one more time. One, two, three. Here's the first lesson that I see about adoration that we learn from the wise men. You ready? Watch this. You cannot have adoration without action. You cannot have adoration without action. Watch this. True and genuine adoration is a desire for something more. It's this uneasiness in your spirit that is drawing you to go deeper. Not to be content with the status quo. Not, not to be content with just going through the motions of monotonous everyday living. But, but when you tap into true adoration, it is this stirring in your spirit that there's got to be more. And, and if there's more, then, then I want that. I want to experience that. I, I want to, as the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, remember when you were learning how to swim? Some of you are like, I still don't know how to swim. You're learning how to swim. I remember when I was learning how to swim, um, and I grew up in a different kind of model of, of childhood. You know, for example, like today, we give our kids time out. When I was growing up, we didn't get time out. We got beat down. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A different world, you know? Today, you get swimming lessons. When I was growing up, they threw you in the pool. Best of luck, man. You're going to be all right. You're going to figure it out. So I have this huge fear of water now. I don't even take showers. I'm just kidding. See any of you listening. When I was learning how to swim, though, I was put into the shallow end. And that's where you start. You start on the first step. And then as you get a little bit more comfortable, you go to the second step and the third step. And, then, and now, now you're knee high and then waist high, et cetera. But, but whenever we went to, to the, you know, like the, the vacation or where other people were in the pool, I noticed that all the fun was in the deep end. No, nobody wanted to hang out in the shallow end of the pool except all of the other babies that were learning how to swim. All these people that were having the time of their life, they were doing cannonballs off the side of the pool. They were diving off the diving board. They were doing chicken fights in the deep. Like they were having a time. But watch this. I would not go in the deep end because of fear, because of uncertainty, because of doubt, and those emotions gripped me, and they trapped me in the shallow waters. And I think that's where so many of us are. There is this desire to go into the deep. And let me tell you, the deeper you go, the more treasure you'll find. That's why you never see people that are looking for sunken ships and three feet of water in the ocean. No, they go out into deep waters because the deeper you go, the more treasure you can find. And I'm telling you that when we tap into this genuine adoration, it is a desire to explore, to go to places you've never been before in God, to, to uh, explore the things of God, to explore the person of God, to explore uh, the desires of God and to seek his face. It's, it's 1 Chronicles twenty two nineteen, where your Bible says, now set your mind and set your heart 
to seek the Lord your God. So watch this. You cannot have adoration without action. So if you say, God, I adore you, then you are active in your faith. You're active in your walk with Christ. You are actively engaging in Scripture, even if you don't understand all of it. Guess what? I don't understand all of it. We're students of the Word, though. When we adore God, we're actively serving our local church. I want to be, I want to be careful, and I say that all the time, and I say that to make the blow easier, but it's not easier. It's just the truth. You can't say you adore God, you love God, and just sit there and do nothing for the kingdom of God. That's lip service. It's lips. God, I love you. So I'll just come to church and sit down and do nothing because I love you. Could you imagine how that would work in your house? Hey, babe, I love you. So I'll let you do everything because I love you. Kimberly would be like, ain't nobody got time for that, JC. Get up. As a matter of fact, Kimberly tells me that I'm never more attractive than when I swiffer. Come on, somebody. I'm just saying. Every time you come to my house... Those floors are spick and span clean. I love you, girl. When we're, when we're genuinely involved in adoring Christ, watch this. We're, we're actively helping other people. God, I adore you. I love you. And then we see somebody in need and, and we do nothing about it. We, we turn the other way. We come up to an intersection where homeless people are. Now, in Montgomery County, Maryland, um, those that are homeless I'm sorry, here in Atlanta, you're not allowed to, to actually panhandle on the side of the road by laws in certain parts of our state. In Montgomery County, that's not the law, and there are panhandlers everywhere. And, and it was quite an eye-opening experience for, for my son Lakeland when we first moved there because he had never seen somebody that was homeless on the side of the road. This was his first encounter. But because of the purity of his heart and his adoration towards the Lord, every time that we saw somebody in need, no matter what my judgmental heart thought, my son would say, we need to help him. So I would always have spare change that was earmarked just for people in need. And it's interesting. We have Christians say, God, we love you. And then when we see somebody in need, we roll up the window and lock the door. Well, they'll spend it all on, on alcohol. Well, that's not your business. It's theirs. You're not responsible to be accountable for what they do with the money. You're just responsible to lend a helping hand, to open up your hearts. That's what, that's what true adoration is. It's being active. That's the point that I'm trying to make. So here's the question. I'll give you a question with all of these lessons. Watch this. The question is, we say we love God, but do our actions back up that claim? God, I love you. I adore you. Well, there is an old secular saying that will make this point come to life. Your actions speak louder than your words. Because if you adore him, then there is action behind it. Come on, give me a good amen right there. All right, watch this. I'm going to give you number two. I'm going to move through these. I, I don't have a lot of time left, and I got a lot more content. So watch this. Number two, uh, look at verse number 11. On coming to the house. On three, read these highlighted words. One, two, three. On coming to the house. Watch this. You cannot have adoration without presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, -E -E, presence. <laughs> you know what? The Bible says that where two or three gather together in his name, he promises to show up in the midst. God will be there, but you have to show up too. This is a, a giving and receiving relationship. God, God will show up, but will you show up? I know what you're thinking. Hey, a moment ago you said this wasn't about church service, and, and it's not. It's so much more than that. But, but I can't exempt Hebrews 10.25 that says, let us not forsake the assembling of the saints. In 2019, what if you just said to God, hey, I, I'm going to be more present. I, I'm going to be more present in my relationship with you. Because ultimately, our adoration to God is not about just church attendance, but it's more about our undivided attention to him. Let me say it like this. God, I'm desperate for a miracle. God, my family needs a touch from you. Oh, whatever it is that, that we cry out to God for, but yet you constantly stay on your cell phone. And you're always checking email. And the TV is always on. And there's an addiction to social media. God, I don't know why I can't hear you. And he's like... 
I'm telling you why. Because your attention is divided. And he says, I just, I need your presence. God says, I am speaking, but you're too busy to stop and listen. It's the old saying, and you've heard this before, if the devil can't make you bad, it'll just make you busy. So we get busy. And we justify all of our busyness with good stuff, with good things, you know. Well, I have to work overtime because of A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and I got to check my email, and this is my favorite TV program, and I'm not against any of those things, but I'm telling you that at some point, you got to close the laptop, turn off the TV, power down the cell phone, log out of Facebook, and get your face in his book. Come on now. Watch this. And be present in his presence. I want you to see this. The, the wise men experienced a miracle because they made a decision just to show up, to be there. Let me ask you this question. Write this thought down. Could there be any missed miracle moments because you weren't present? <laughs> You've been asking for the miracle and God was going to do it, but you weren't present. You, you were there, but, but you weren't there. You were there, but, but you weren't there. Uh, one of the greatest challenges in our marriage, and Kimberly reminds me of this, is that I have selective hearing. She says it's a challenge. I say it's a gift from God for all men. Come on, fellas. Help me out for a moment. And at times when she's in conversation, ladies, help me out if this is, actually, I need your help so that I don't feel like I'm the only one. But she'll say, are you listening to me? Ladies, have you ever said that? Okay, I need more ladies than that because now I feel really guilty. I'm so sorry, Kimberly. Are you listening? I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. What did I just say? A lot. <laughs> you said quite a bit. I just can't, I can't remember it all. I, I was there, but I wasn't there. Does that make sense? And, and I wonder, could there be moments where you missed a miracle because you weren't present? Because watch this, you cannot have adoration without presence. I got to move. I, I wish I could stay there. So much more to say, but time won't permit. Uh, stay with verse number 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Uh, write this down. You cannot have adoration without worship. If you want, if you want to adore the Lord, you have to be engaged in worship. Now, the New Testament doesn't use this word adore or adoration typically. We often see uh, a word that is synonymous with that, which is, which is praise or worship. And there's different layers to each of those disciplines. But, but what we do see in the original language, the Greek, is that this, this idea of adoration that was translated into worship comes from the Greek word proskuneo. And it means this, to bow before or to revere. I want you to see the depth of this. It means to kiss. Uh, the other one means to this, means this, to kiss the ground in reverence before someone. Uh, let me go back one slide here because I want you to see this. Two slides actually. Watch. They bowed down and worshipped him. It was proskuneo. The wise men, when they got to Jesus, they, they followed the star. They were overjoyed. They, they saw God in human flesh, and they bowed down. And watch this. They kissed the ground before the king. That is worship. To swallow your pride, not caring who's looking or who's not looking, but to say, I am so moved to be in your presence, that I will bow down before you and I'll kiss the ground you walk on. Uh, we, we sang this earlier at both of our campuses. Here I am to worship. Here I am to what? Bow down. Uh, the idea of that song comes from Psalm 95. I'm going to get to it because I skipped through. Psalm 95, verse 6 and 7. Come, let us proskuneo. Let us worship and let us what? Bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. Let me ask you this, and this is an important question, and I can't stay here long, but watch this. How do you worship when the music stops? When, when all of these incredible singers aren't there to take you into the throne room of God. Let's be honest. It's easy to worship in this room.
It's easy to worship in this environment because there's something, something uh, incredibly supernatural about corporate worship. Here's why. Because there's power in numbers. When it rains, if it drops one raindrop, there's no damage. Let 20 billion raindrops come and see what happens. If a snowstorm came and there was only two snowflakes, you'd laugh at that. You'd still buy bread and milk, but you'd laugh at it. <laughs> but let 20 billion snowflakes come and this whole city's shutting down. Why? Because there's power in numbers. And when we come together, and Scripture says, when you lift me up, I'll draw people to you. It's hard not to even stay in your row at times because you feel that electricity. But sometimes on Monday, I don't feel that same spirit. So how, how do you worship when the music stops? When this team's not there to lead you in worship when you need them? Wouldn't it be great if they just followed you around all the time? It would be a little awkward initially, but it'd be incredible. I'm having a bad day, and then Kristen's singing, you know, isn't he, isn't he Jesus? I don't even know how she hits those notes. Like Mariah Carey on this stage. You can feel Jesus in that moment, but that's not reality. So when the music stops, what does your, your adoration do then? Do you give up, or do you just live Sunday to Sunday? Because I'm telling you, Christians cannot survive living Sunday to Sunday. Come on now. We need to be in his presence. We need to feel his spirit every single day. Watch this. Listen to me. Here's the point that i got to make, and we got to move. You cannot have adoration without worship, and worship is bowing down before the Lord and it's putting yourself in a posture and position to hear God speak. All right, watch this. Verse number 11. Stay here with me a couple more. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You cannot have adoration without presence. Now, now we're at P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. -E presence. Gifts. Can I give you a dad joke? I'm going to ask you so that you can laugh at it because I need you to laugh at it. My kids love my dad jokes, by the way. Come on, any dads out there? Don't you just thrive off dad jokes? Have you ever, here's a dad joke. Have you ever wondered why they brought three gifts? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Have you ever thought about that? Why three gifts? I'll tell you why. Because two guys were together and they said, we'll give them gold and frankincense. And the other guy said, but wait, there's myrrh. <laughs> if the person next to you is not laughing, you got to help them out. There's myrrh. I'm going to stay here till you get it. <laughs> there's more. There's myrrh. Come on now. That's funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why? Why would they bring these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh? I'll tell you why. Uh, again, there's, there's a sermon in this by itself, but watch this. They brought gold because they recognized that it was a proper gift for a king. They presented frankincense, and, and only if you're into essential oils do you know about frankincense. They brought frankincense because frankincense was what the high priest used when he went into the temple to represent the people before God. And then they brought myrrh. Now, myrrh is an interesting gift because myrrh was often used as a part of preparing someone who's dead as a part of the embalming process. Why would they bring a newborn king myrrh? I believe it's because they knew that this king would die for the sins of his people. So they brought gold, they brought frankincense, and they brought myrrh. And if you're like me, you're thinking, well, what gift can I bring? That's the question. I mean, come on. What gifts can I offer as adoration towards God? Here's the answer, and you already know it. The greatest gift you can ever give is your heart. It's the greatest gift is your heart. The greatest gift you can ever give is you. You. I know this sounds funny and probably doesn't even make a ton of sense, but God doesn't care about you giving him presents. Let me tell you, God doesn't need an Apple Watch. He doesn't need a Nintendo Switch. And I guarantee you, he don't need no hoverboard. But what he desperately wants is you. Your heart. The Bible says that he's a jealous God. 
The best thing you can do this Christmas is say, God, I give you my life. I, I give you my heart. I give you all of me. I give you my, my gifts, those spiritual gifts that he put on the inside of you. I, I give you my talents. I, I give you my abilities. I give you, I give you my dreams. I give you my future. I, I give you my, my wife or or maybe I give you my husband, I give you my children, I give you my family, I give you my future, I give you my weaknesses, I give you my life. God, the gift I can give, the gift I can bring, far greater than gold, frankincense, or myrrh, is me. And I'll, I'll, I'll bow down before you, and I'll lay my life at your feet. You know what, there is no rule in preaching that I have to wait to the end of a sermon to give a call for salvation. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a second. Come on, respectfully. If you're here today and you're tired of going year after year, Christmas after Christmas, without having that intimate relationship with the Lord, why don't you give them your heart today? Today, right now, in this moment, I give you my life. I'm telling you, not only is, is it a gift that is received by God, but then he'll give you a gift in return. It's the gift of salvation. That's how God works. Both campuses, nobody looking. If you're here today and you need to give God your heart, don't wait. If that's you, put your hand up. Come on, real fast. Thank you so much. Anybody, so many hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Come on, go church as well. Raise your hand. Come on. Your campus pastor, he's there. We're going to pray. I see your hand. It's a call. Come, let us adore him. This is the gift that you can bring. It's yourself. Father, every hand that was lifted by faith, would you make them a new person in you? And may they experience new life in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Everybody look at me for just a moment. If you just raise your hand at either campus, I want to get you a Bible. I want to help you on this journey. And watch this. The Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing because a sinner has come home. And watch this. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But when we call on the name of the Lord, he receives our heart as that gift and he gives us the gift of salvation. Come on now, church. Put your hands together and thanks God. Come on. Thank God for the gift of salvation. Come on, don't golf clap God right now. Come on, open up your lips. Thank you, Jesus. This is the gift. The gift that you can offer is the gift of your heart. I really wrestled with this last lesson, lesson number five. Even in my notes, I put maybe, maybe not, depending on the way the conversation went and then the way I felt the Spirit lead me. But... I did this in the first gathering. I'm going to show you here too because I think this is important, especially for those that just raised their hand for salvation, to understand this other aspect, this fifth lesson about adoration. Watch this in verse number 12. Uh, the Lord gave this to me at about 11 o'clock last night, so I had to put it into my slides and get it into my notes. But I just was so unsure. But I'm going to share it with you, and I, I pray that it, it lands where it needs to land. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they, the wise men, because they had this encounter with Jesus, their, their lives were different. It was, they were changed. So they returned to their country by another route. Why? Because now Herod had sent hitmen to kill them because he did not want them to experience this Jesus and then share the gospel, the good news. Watch this. You cannot have adoration without spiritual warfare. You can't have it. You, you cannot go into deep waters and not find bigger fish. And here's why. The enemy wants to steal the intimacy between you and God. He does not want you to be close to him. That's why every time that you try to pick up your Bible and read... That's why every time you close your eyes to pray, there's a hundred million distractions. Anybody ever been there? God, today I'm going to read my Bible. And then all of a sudden, something gets in the way. 
God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray today. Nothing, nothing's going to get in my way. And then you start praying. And all of a sudden, you're like, God, touch my family. Do we need milk? I think we're out of milk. Anybody ever have that? It's like, what? Why? Because the enemy does not want you to get close to God. Why is it that when you leave uh, a worship gathering like this, that all of a sudden, it's like all of hell is against you? Because the enemy wants to steal your joy. Let me, let me paint it like this. Do you remember your first crush ever? Come on, that first crush. Maybe you were in middle school. Maybe you were in elementary school. Maybe you were in high school. Maybe you're here today and you're like, it's happening, finally. It's good. Remember your first crush, though? Come on, show me your hands, both campuses. You remember your first crush ever. Some of you are like, where are you going with this? I'm going to show you if you hang in there. I remember my first crush ever, and I thought she was so cute. So here's what I did. Uh, tell me if you did the same thing. I wrote a note, and in the note, I said, I like you. Do you like me? And then I gave options. Check yes. Check no. Check maybe. Admit it if you did it. Come on right there. Yeah. Let, let, let me, and then, and, and then what? You, you would never, ever hand that note to the girl yourself. You'd never give that note to that boy you were crushing on yourself. What would you do? You'd get a friend involved. Go give it to her. Go give it to him. And then you would wait with anticipation. What will she or he say in return? Let me tell you how I landed Kimberly. I did not give her options. Come on, somebody. I said, thus said the Lord, we going to get married. Cool, cool. Put a ring on it. Signed, sealed, delivered. And I ask her, do you like me? Yes, no, maybe. You like me. And I like you. Something like that. That felt good to get that out. I've been living a lie all these years. Y'all thought, no, 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 it was me. You will love me. <laughs> Watch this, though. And then, and then you would give it to a friend, and the friend would deliver it. And then the person, the boy or the girl, they would, they would fill out the note, and then they would what? They would give it to a different friend. And then that friend would come over, and your hands were all clammy. You were sweating. You were just hoping, when I open this up, what will it say? Now here's the point that I want to make, though, is that when your friends found out that you were crushing on somebody, they started to pick on you. They started to make fun of you. They started to poke at you. And, and what, what would they say? They'd say things like this. JC and Kimberly sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. How many of you know that? First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes... A, yeah, yeah, you know it. Because I never let them get to that part. Because I say, no, 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 I don't like her. I don't like her. What do you mean you don't like her? You just asked me to take a note to her. Why? Watch this. Because the moment that my affection was revealed, the battle showed up. That's good. The moment that I said, I like you, I love you, I want to be with you, then everybody started to criticize us. And then you had a moment where you had to decide, will I persevere through the criticism? Will I overcome the battles? Will I overcome the haters and the naysayers and the lies of the enemy and pursue what is in my heart or will I back up? And it happens all the time. People, they encounter Jesus and they say, I love you, Jesus. I adore you, Lord. I worship you. And the moment that your affection is revealed, the battle shows up. And then people are faced with the same type of conflict. Do I stay and hold fast to my conviction that Jesus is my Lord and Savior? Or do I say, no, 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 I never said that. I never said it. Let me ask you a question, and this is deep. Will you, and I want you to write it down, will you adore him even when the spiritual warfare comes? It's easy on Sundays, God, I lift you up, I give you praise. But what about when you get a report from the doctor you didn't want to hear? Let me encourage you. He's God in the good times. And he's God in the tough times. He's the God of the mountain. He's the God of the valley. Well, what are you going to do when the battle comes? 
God, I love you, and then you lose your job. God, I adore you, and then there's family drama. Hey, none of us are exempt from the attacks of the enemy. It's John 10.10. 10. In John 10.10, 10, the, the uh, enemy reveals his mission. He says, I come to steal, kill, and destroy. So Jesus counters, and he says, you've got a mission? Jesus says, I have a mission too. I have come, Jesus says, to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Come on now. The, the primary objective of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy. So when you say, God, I adore you, I love you, I worship you, will you worship him when the spiritual warfare comes? Last thought, and I'm done. Never, ever let your trouble be greater than your praise. The harder the attack, the harder you worship. The harder the attack, the higher the adoration. Come on now. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. I want you to give them the best praise you've got. Come on, church, both campuses.